0: hey welcome to the podcast for Hill baptist church we hope this message helps you discern what is true what is right and what is good also we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today we are currently in a series called the movement which is a study of the book of acts we're specifically looking at god's movement through the early church enjoy the message Good morning and welcome to Scott Hill. So glad to have you here in our in-person gatherings. Uh, it's always a pleasure for us to meet together as we can sing and give praise to God, and and today is Super Bowl Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, I know a lot of people are excited about it. That yeah, that one person back there is really excited about Super Bowl Sunday, and I, I just have to ask: Are there are there any Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans in here, or Tom Brady fans in here? Um, if if you're excited about Tom Brady, or the, but y'all, y'all are pulling for the old goat, okay? Um, how many of you are Kansas City Chiefs fans in here today? You're pulling for the Chiefs. How many of you didn't even know it was Super Bowl Sunday, and you don't care about it at all, and so yeah, most of you do. Most of you do. My saints are not in it, so I'm not really all that excited about it. Although on each team there are two players from each team that are from LSU and playing professional, and it's what we call the NFLSU because we have so many players. It's the only thing I can pull for for LSU is that they're playing in um, um, the Super Bowl this year. So I'm so grateful for that. Enough of that. We are in a series that we've entitled The Movement. And the movement is a study on the book of Acts. It's not a verse-by-verse study, as you know. We're going to be looking at large sections of Scripture. and are going to be pulling out through the book of Acts some key principles that we believe God wants us to live by in this new year. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, turn to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. That's what we're going to take it up this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. But let me just kind of catch us all up to speed. I'm not going to do this every Every week because as we go through it, it'll take too long to do the review. But I just want to remind you that chapter one, we looked at the mission statement for the entire book of Acts. It's chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We see that Jesus gives us three essentials for fulfilling the mission in the body of Christ. That is we're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to have a purpose, we are witnesses as we go, and we have a plan. We're to go to the ends of the earth. So chapter 1, he lays out the plan and the purpose and the power for us. But then chapter 2, he tells us how God, how God grows and multiplies the church. We saw that from the day of Pentecost, and after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit come, God established the church as bride, and we see how God wants to multiply the church. And we saw in those passages that God was adding daily to those who were being saved. And as you go through the book of Acts, the way that God builds and multiplies the church never changes, and it hasn't changed for the last 2,000 years. God still does it the same way. Then last week, in chapters 3 and 4, we began to look at how the church moves out in culture. God established the church. He's multiplying the church. But last week, in chapters 3 and 4, we saw how the church was to move in culture. We saw that we are to move out in culture being filled with the Spirit of God and the power of God. And we saw that we are to have spirit-filled awareness. We're to be aware of people who are broken all around us. We're to have a spirit-filled faithfulness to the gospel message. We're not to stray from the message of the gospel. And we're to have a spirit-filled boldness as we boldly declare the truth of God's word to a culture. Now today, when we come to chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, we're going to see something totally different. Luke gives us an insight on how the church is to respond to one another. It's one thing of how we move out in culture, but how are we to do life together? What are to be the characteristics of a New Testament church when we gather, when we do ministry together? So beginning in chapter 4, verse 32, Luke records under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what happened in the church. Follow along with me. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sowed them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sowed a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid at the apostles' feet. Now, when Luke records this, he's given us an insight of what's happening in the early church. Remember that God has been building the church. 15, 20,000 people now are involved in the body of Christ in Jerusalem. Now, remember what I told you, that when we read in the book of Acts, there are certain things that are descriptive, and there are certain things that are prescriptive. The descriptive things just tell us what happened. But they don't tell us that we're supposed to follow what happened. The prescriptive things are the things that happened but are prescribed for us to live by. In this passage, there are both prescriptive issues and descriptive issues. Let me deal with the descriptive issue first. In this passage, it is described... That the church was selling their property, selling all of their possessions, and they were bringing as from time to time and laying the, the, the resources at the apostles' feet. That is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. It is not something that Luke is saying every church must do. That every church must, every member of every church must be involved in this kind of activity. That's not what he's saying. This is the only place in the New Testament that we see the early church doing this. It is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. So as a church, we're not saying that every member needs to sell everything they have and bring it to the leaders. It's descriptive. Now, if you would like to sell everything you have and bring it to us, we're okay with that, okay? But it's not something that's prescribed in scripture. But everything else that we're going to cover this morning is prescriptive. The characteristic that existed in the early church is to be prescriptive for our church today and for every church. Because here's what Luke is talking about. He's talking about how the church responds to one another. And in this passage, he gives four characteristics of how you and I should respond to one another. This is true not only of Scotts Hill. It is true of every single gospel-centered church that is established by God, that is being multiplied by God, if we want to walk in the favor and the blessing of Almighty God, these characteristics must be displayed in our lives to one another and to the world. This morning, what I want to do is I want to give you four of them. I don't have a lot of time this morning, but what I want to do is I want to walk through these four characteristics that should be so obvious within our body that the world sees them. Number one, the church responded in unity. The very first church had incredible unity. Remember there were 15 to 20,000 people that had been swept into the kingdom of God. The church is exploding in numbers. Yet Luke says this, now the full number of those who believe, the reason he uses full number, It's at this point, the church is continuing to grow and multiply. They don't even know how many people are in the kingdom of God. There is an incredible revival that's happening in Jerusalem. Everybody is so excited. There is a buzz in town. There's the power of God. There's the fullness of the Spirit of God. People are going to and from the temple, and everybody is talking about Jesus. But here's what he's saying, that all of them were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. So much, to, so, much so that they said, you know what? We're not going to claim anything as our own. We are one family. And we're going to walk together as one. Now, why is unity so important? Of all the characteristics that Luke can begin with, of all the characteristics that the Holy Spirit would tell you and me that is prescriptive, For a New Testament church, it begins with unity. Why? Because authentic community can never exist apart from unity. The only way you're going to have an authentic community is for us to walk in unity. In fact, you can't even spell the word community without spelling unity. Because the two go together. Now, let me tell you what unity is not. I've I've done this for years now at Scott's Hill, but I want to remind you of this. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity says we all look alike. You can look at the person next to you right now and be thankful that you don't look like them, okay? Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not unanimity. Unanimity says we all think alike. We don't all think alike. We have different processes that we go through when we're thinking through issues. But unity is neither something that you and I can conjure up. We can't get together as a faith community and say, hey, let's just work hard to be one. You and I don't have it within us to do that. So what is biblical unity? Biblical unity is a supernatural act of the Father, grounded in the work of Jesus on the cross, by which the Holy Spirit works to make all believers one. You know what was clearly evident in the early church? Was the presence of the Spirit of God. And because the Spirit of God was so heavy in the life of that church, and because they understood that they were baptized in the Spirit of God, and they were filled with the Spirit of God, there was unity. They didn't try to work to create unity. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings unity. Unity is oneness in the midst of diversity. We don't have to all be alike to have unity, but we have harmony. And that flows from the Holy Spirit himself. Let me just give you an illustration. Do you realize that the early church, this church, was the most diverse church in all of history? There was no church before this church, and there was no church as diverse as this church. This church had so many different backgrounds and heritage and races that were involved in this church. Let's go back to chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. When the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the believers, the people in the crowd at Pentecost were from all over the region. um, Luke tells us who was there there were Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians all the mixture of the Middle East that we see today that can't get along they were one The early church was the most multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural mega church that has ever existed. Not one of them gave up their uniqueness and their heritage. They didn't give up their uniqueness and their experiences. They didn't give up their uniqueness with their lives, but they were one because they were all baptized in the Spirit of God. They were all filled with the Spirit of God. And because of that, there was a oneness in the midst of incredible diversity. That is supernatural. A lot of people think that the church is a homogenous mixture of people, kind of like a blender. You know, you take different items and you put them in a blender and you blend them all together and those items are no longer distinguishable as individual items. They all look the same. You can take carrots and blueberries and spinach and whatever else you want to put in a blender and everything is one. There's nothing identifiable separate from another piece because it's all blended together. Some people think that's the church, but it's not. The church is not like a blender. It's like a tossed salad. It's like a tossed salad. Now I want you to think of all the elements of a salad and that represents who we are. Some of you are the lettuce. Some of you are the lettuce. You're like the base and, and do a lot of the work in the life of the church. You're the lettuce. Some, some of you though may be like the cucumbers. You're so cool and calm and collective. You know, you need good cucumbers in a salad, right? Right? Some of you are like blue cheese. You're really somber and maybe a little bit moldy on the edges. Some of you are like the tomatoes. Man, you give great color and excitement to the salad. Some of you are like the peppers. You give spice and, man, you just, whoa, man, you spice it up. Some of you are like the croutons. You're a little crusty on the outside. Some of you are like the nuts. You're just kind of fresh and wild. And then all of that makes the salad unique. But here's what ties the salad together. The salad dressing. When you take the salad dressing and you pour it over all of those individual qualities and experiences, that salad dressing saturates the entire salad. You toss it together and with every single bite, there's an explosion of flavor. But it's all united by the sauce, and everything tastes wonderful. Let me tell you, as a body of Christ, every one of us is unique. We have different gifts. We have different experiences. We have different backgrounds. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we're baptized in the Spirit of God, and when we allow ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is to the church like salad dressing is to a salad, and he saturates the entire body, and we together have the aroma and the taste of Jesus. You know where our identity is at that point? We're still unique, we have our unique characteristics, but our identity is in Jesus. The flag that we wear across our shoulders that's draped over the hours of our lives is the flag of Christ. And when we all walk with the same flag and our identity is in the same person who unites us together in the power of the Holy Spirit, we become that which is most attractional to a world that is so disunified. We don't make the unity. The Holy Spirit brings the unity. We walk in the character of Jesus in all that we do. And we have to fight to maintain that unity because of our own tendencies. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work for it. You work to maintain it. Why? Here's the tendency. We have the tendency of throwing off the banner of Jesus and picking up some other banner that we drape on ourselves. And we walk through the life of the church and we look for other people that have a similar banner to ours and then we unite with them. And before long, we find ourselves in little tribes. We find ourselves in little cliques. We find ourselves in little ideologies. We find ourselves in this political agenda. We find ourselves over here with this social thing. We find ourselves over here with this theological grid work. We find ourselves over here in this opinion. We find ourselves over here with this preference. And before long, everybody's attracted to the person that's wearing their flag. And we're wearing the wrong flag. Those things are important. We need to fight for truth and justice and righteousness. But there is no banner that should take the precedence of Jesus, my King. And when the church cannot walk in a unified front with Jesus as our Savior, then the world does not care to listen. The question I had to ask this week is, what banner am I wearing? What are we wearing? You see, unity comes as we are saturated in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And all the differences that are between us are used for the glory of God. And the world is looking in into the life of the church. And they're wondering, if they can't be unified, why do I want to be a part of that, This is a characteristic that is prescribed for the body of Christ. Is that we walk as one. And no matter what your differences and your distinctions are, in the Holy Spirit, He makes all of us a pleasant aroma to the world. The early church responded in, unity. But here's the second thing they did. The church responded in Christ-centered testimony. Oh, they were centered in their message, and they never moved away from it. And not only did they not move away from it, but they created ways for them to always remember it, and they applied it to their lives. Verse 33, and with great power, I want you to notice the elements of success for our mission are mentioned here. Power With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, that's their witness, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and grace was upon them all. Great grace. Now here's the picture here. The picture here is they were people of great testimony. The word testimony can just be replaced with the word witness. They were witnesses for Jesus. And I want you to notice something about their witnessing. It always, always in the book of Acts, goes back to the resurrection of Jesus. They always go back to the resurrection. Peter did it three times, and we see the early church is doing it now. They always go back to the resurrection. Why? The resurrection gives validation to the claims of Jesus. If Jesus never rose from the dead, you can't believe a single word he ever said. And the second thing is this, the resurrection always proves that God received his sacrifice as the only means of atonement for man's sin. And so those two things, they always go back to the resurrection. Let me tell you, there's something wrong with the gospel that doesn't go to the resurrection of Jesus. You can't have Jesus without the resurrection or you have no gospel. And so every time we share the gospel with people, we need to remind them of his perfect life that he lived, his death, his burial. And his resurrection from the dead, because he is the only one who has ever accomplished that in humanity. And we find that the early church often did this. They created creeds. Donnie mentioned a little while ago about creeds. Creeds are really important, they're just simple tools that we use to help us remember certain things. We have creeds in our culture. You teach your children when they're little. You teach them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, M, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Now I know my ABCs, soon I'll have my PhD. You know, those kind of things. You teach them that. The early church had creeds. The Apostle Paul touches on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and he appeared, and he lists all the people he appeared to. Paul is believed to have been citing a creed. The early church had a creed that was a part of their testimony. They never drifted from this truth. Let me give you what is believed to be the creed that they had said. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Say that with me. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. One more time. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. This is so important. The church put this in a way that even the children would never forget it. Why? Because that's the gospel. It's so simple. And we cannot move away from the simplicity of the gospel. Not only did they hang to a creed, but here's what they also did. When he says they testified, everything they talked about went back to Jesus. Everything. It went back to their relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is so important. When we read the gospel, it's God's story to humanity. But when I tell people what Jesus did for me, it is my story of what God did in my life. And many times people may refute what you believe that God did for humanity, but they will not refute a changed life and a testimony when you tell them what Jesus did for you. And we need to be people of that kind of testimony. What does it mean? It means that everything we talk about needs to take us back to Jesus, everything. Ask me about my marriage, and I will tell you that Jesus taught me how to love my wife. Ask me about our kids, and I will tell you, listen, we have great kids, but it's only by the grace of God. And Jesus has done such a work in both of my kids' lives that they're both serving the Lord Jesus today in another state. Ask me about my finances. Well, let me tell you what God has done. He has been so faithful to take care of us at every turn, and he gives us the opportunity to give to help others. Well, let me t- t- tell you about my success and my ministry. It only comes from God and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm so grateful for a resurrected Savior who chose me to serve Him. Let me tell you about my patience. Well, we're not going to talk about that right now. It's still working on that. And you see how easy it is? How are you dealing with the loss of a job? Well, let me tell you. The Lord Jesus has provided for all of my needs and because of that, He's going to provide for my future. How are you dealing with cancer? Oh, the Lord Jesus is sovereign over all things. And I'm going to trust him. He's going to work the details out, either to bring healing in my life or to bring me before his very presence. How are you dealing with this pandemic? Oh, it's only by the grace of God. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life in the midst of this pandemic. Do you hear how easy it is? And yet so little time do we take the opportunity to point people back to the resurrected Christ in all of our lives. When I get on airplanes, when I tell people I'm a pastor, they immediately shut down. They, they don't want to talk to me. They want to look at the, whatever the little movie is. They just, don't, we're not going to say anything. Oh, I got to take a nap, you know. So there are all kinds of ways you could figure out ways to sharing the gospel and making it very simple. I was on an airplane one time, and a lady said, what do you do? I said, oh, I have the greatest job in the world. I get to tell people about how they can have hope. <gasps> You're a motivational speaker. <laughs> I said, no, but can I tell you how you can have hope? Yes, please tell me. What's the secret? Jesus. And just go into an opportunity. Uh, a lot of you don't know this, but I have a tattoo right here on my arm. Some of you are thinking, ooh, pastor's got a tattoo. Ooh. The tattoo is a long Greek word, to die. It's written right here on the inside, most painful part of my arm. And so I have a tattoo because it's an opportunity to talk about Christ. When I'm at the beach, I'm sitting in a chair and I'm flexing and back. It's not very impressive, believe me. But if people see my tattoo, here's what I've said I would do I would say, and I have done this, and they say, Well, tell me about your tattoo, because people like to ask about tats. And I say, Well, the word is the last word that Jesus said on the cross to tell us, die. It means it is finished. The word is paid in full. I'll tell you about it if you give me five minutes. Great ministry opportunity. Now, I'm not getting more tattoos. My wife said if I get another one, it will be finished. So, uh, <laughs> so and, and please, 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 don't go home and say, Mom and Dad can have a tattoo Pastor Phil said is a great witnessing tool. Um, I don't know what to tell you right now. So, <laughs> but the reality is this. We are to be people of testimony, taking every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Here's the third thing. I'm going to go real quick. The church responded in generosity. Oh, they responded in great generosity. Verses 34 and 35 there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sowed them and brought the proceeds of what was sowed and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as, as any had need. Let me tell you what this is not. Many people say, oh, you see here, this, this is Christian communism. This is Christian socialism. Nothing could be further from the truth, nothing. That's not what this is. It is not a compulsory system Where the apostles said, if you're going to be in the church, you have to sell everything and there has to be equity across the board. That is not what he said. Chapter 5, we find that when Ananias is confronted by Peter, Peter says, was not the property yours? Did you not have the right to keep it or sell it? And even if you did, did you not have the right to keep the money to yourself? This is in no way a compulsory system where every person is obliged to have to do it. This is a voluntary system called generosity. It's what it is. They were generous. And they were so generous that when they saw a person who had a need, they were willing to meet that need. Why? Because they were brothers and sisters. Do you know that after all of these people are swept into the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, most of the people didn't go home. All of these people who were from different regions stayed in Jerusalem. Why? They wanted to be under the apostles' teachings. They wanted to be discipled. They wanted to hear more about the truth of Jesus. They wanted to be prepared to go back to tell the story of Jesus and what he did in their own lives. But they didn't have houses, they ran out of resources, they didn't have the funds to be able to stay at a long term. So, what did the believers do there? They sold stuff as needed and they gave it to those people so that they can continue to be invested in. That's generosity. And we find James says that when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, uh, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? And then more pointedly, John says in 1 John, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. But in deed and in truth, we are to take care of one another. You know, it's interesting. They did bring it to the disciples. And they said, you distribute it as the needs are. Let me give you some ways that we can be generous as a body of Christ. One way you can always be generous is to support the ministries of Scottsdale. Why? Because when you support our budget, our budget has in it specific plans for helping needy people. We have body life needs of people in the life of this church. We have community needs so where we help people outside of this church. And when you support the giving of the ministry here at Scotts Hill, we do that. We also have opportunities that people have come and given us money. At Christmas time, I had a person come to me and he gave me a check for $10,000. He said, Pastor, I want you to take this and go on a cruise. No, he did not say that. He said, Pastor, I want you to take this and I want you to find families in our church who are needy. And Vic LaVisca and I sat down and with our contacts and the people that we knew found the families that needed that most and we distributed $10,000. In the first service this morning, a man came up to me and said, I got a check for $5,000. I want to give this towards anybody who needs help during this time. Wonderfully generous. You can do things like that. And you might say like I... I can't do that. I can't come drop a $10,000 check. How can I be needy? I'm needy. How can I help the need, the needy? How can I serve them? Let me give you some ideas. Maybe if you know somebody that's struggling, you can give them a gas card. You know somebody that may need groceries, you can give them a Walmart card. You know somebody that maybe you can pay their utility bill. You know somebody that just needs a visit and prayer. You know, somebody who's struggling, maybe you can hire them. Whatever the circumstances are, we can be generous because generosity is the heart of the Father, and generosity is the heart of Jesus, and generosity is the heart of believers. We walk in generosity. I read a story, Oak Grove, Oregon. There was a man and his wife, his name, I forget his name. His wife's name was Tina. They owned a coffee shop together. Mark, his name was Mark. Mark and Tina owned a coffee shop, but he is a, he is a, a youth pastor, a baseball coach, an owner of a coffee shop. Mark is dying of cancer. And he and his wife could not run their coffee shop because of that. Another Christian in another coffee shop called Moonlight Coffee Shop, Pixie Adams, heard about it. She said, "What can we do to help our brother and sister in Christ across town?" You know what they did? They closed their coffee shop down, took their entire crew, went over there to this other coffee shop for Mark and Tina. They gave their entire day of that. All of their customers, they encouraged to not to go to their coffee shop, but to come over here and support it. She said, "We had to do something. It's generosity. It's not just money. It's your time. It's your talents. It's your treasure." We're to be a generous church. Here's the fourth thing. The church responded in humility. Oh, incredible humility. And not only does Luke speak about humility, but he gives us a model picture of humility in a man by the name of Joseph. We know him in scripture as Barnabas. Barnabas. Here's what he says in this passage. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They called him son of encouragement. He was such a humble man that he never cared about anything for himself that he sold his own property and he benefited the body of Christ and people recognized his incredible humility. So they give him a nickname. They called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. As I read that this week, you know what I begin to think of? I thought, what would have, what name would the people who know me best, what nickname would they give me? I'm like, maybe I don't want to know that. I might, what nickname would they give you? Based upon your character. I mean, for some of us, our nickname might be Stingy. Grumpy. Unhappy. Bathe in pickle juice. I don't know. But he was such a humble man that the whole church knew him as Barnabas. You know how many times he appears in the book of Acts? 25 times. 25 times in the book of Acts. Five times in Paul's epistles. And every time you see Barnabas, he is encouraging somebody. You know, Barnabas was the only guy who took the apostle Paul in after, after Paul came to faith in Christ. We'll see that. He's the only one who took him in. The apostles will not have anything to do with, with, with Paul. But Barnabas took him right on in. As a result of his incredible encouragement, the Holy Spirit used Paul, and we have 13 letters in the New Testament. Barnabas and Paul were the first ones that were sent on a missionary tour from the church in Antioch. And what's interesting, Barnabas's name is always before Paul for a long time. And then Barnabas and Paul got in an argument Over John Mark, because John Mark left the ministry for a while. Abandoned Paul. Paul didn't want to have anything to do with that young man. Barnabas took John Mark, his younger cousin, by the way, and poured into him and encouraged him in ministry. And I believe because of that, we have the gospel of Mark today. You see, what happens is encouragement is a mark of humility. The church not only walked in unity and testimony, And not only walked in generosity, but listen to this. They were so humble with one another that they were encouraging one another. And encouragement is an incredible ministry in the body of Christ. The word encouragement, you know what what it is in Greek? It's parakaleo. It means one who comes alongside and calls out courage to another person. Parakaleo. You know the name of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Paraklete. And when we walk in encouragement, we're walking more closely like the Holy Spirit than any other time. And we're called to encourage one another. Let me give you three scriptures in the New Testament about encouragement. There are actually seven times this word, parakaleo, appears. Let me give you three of them. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know what humble people do? They build other people up. Humble people don't need to tear anybody down because they're not based upon their pride. But the church of Jesus Christ is more often known for shooting wounded people than to heal them. This is supposed to be a place where we love and accept it and forgiven this is a place where we can come and fail this is a place where we can come and build one another up in the name of jesus this is a place where we want to gird up one another not tear one another down and when we're living humble lives filled with the spirit of god one of the things that you will find taking place in the life of the church is we're not just loving one another but we are propping one another up for the glory of christ nothing grieves the heart of the father more than when his children tear each other apart and nothing grieves the father more than when his children tear each other apart for the world to see and when we get in arguments on facebook and we get in arguments on twitter And the church attacks other church members and other churches. It grieves the heart of the Father and makes him sick. And the world wants nothing to do with us. We are not about tearing each other down. We are called to walk in humility and build each other up. So that the world would say, wow. Man, those people love Jesus and they love each other. If you got to get on the internet and you feel that you're about to tear a believer down, shut your computer off for the sake of the body of Christ and for the sake of the glory of God. We're better than that. The church is better than that. But here's another scripture about building each other up. Encourage one another every day so long as it's called today that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know that part of encouragement is for me to tell you, my brother, you're going down the wrong path. My sister, you really shouldn't be doing that. You know, that's not really Christ-like. I want to challenge you in that thought. You know, I want to hold you accountable to your walk in Christ. That's encouragement. Encouragement means we hold each other up. We bear up one another. We are truthful about one another and we speak the truth in love. A lot of times people say, I'm going to speak the truth in love. Well, usually there's no love in it. But we're called to encourage one another in that degree. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to stir up one another. We're to stimulate one another in good deeds and serving one another. And so as you and I are walking according to humility and the power of the Spirit of God, we're putting each other first. We're encouraging one another so that we might be everything God desires us to be. What are the characteristics Therefore, unity. Whose banner are you wearing today? Are we so saturated with the Spirit of God that our identity is in Jesus? How's your testimony? I want to encourage you to do something this week. Some of you have never written your testimony out. I want to encourage you to do it. Three parts. Spend one minute writing about who you were before Jesus. Spend one minute writing about how Jesus changed your life. Spend one minute about how you're different today. That's a three-minute testimony. So simple. Hey, let me tell you who I was before Christ. Let me tell you how I met him. Let me tell you how he changed my life. He can change you too. In three minutes... There's the gospel. Are we living a testimony? Generosity, how are we? Are we freely supporting one another and loving one another with the things that God has blessed us with? And last is humility. Will we build each other up? Let's pray. Father, you've shown us today how the church is to respond to one another. Father, we know the key is submitting fully to you and allowing your spirit to so fill us that we have one heart. Father, to so fill us that we have one message. To so fill us that we have all things in common. To so fill us That we encourage and walk in humility. And Father, we know that these are the elements that bless your heart. These characteristics model the heart of Jesus. And Father, may we walk in such things. And Father, we know that the world is looking in on the churches today and they're finding all of the, 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 the struggles and the disunity. Hey, Father, in the midst of that, in all of our diversity, you have given us everything we need to be one. Father, may we be such an aroma to the world that the Holy Spirit in our lives is like the salad dressing of a salad that saturates every single piece. That we become an attraction. That Jesus begins to draw people to himself. That your name is glorified. And Father, remind us to fight for it. To be eager to pursue the unity that you have brought and to bond of peace. Father, I know that there may be some here this morning without Christ, and I want them to know that Jesus died for their sins, that he was buried. He rose on the third day. He is the answer for their lives. Father, I pray that your spirit would so convict them and bring them to know the truth that they cannot walk away. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Father, give us the power to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 5, and we're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira. You will not want to miss this. This is an incredible story, and I want to talk to you about how that impacts the church today. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill podcast. And thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Until next time.